Today, the world is demanding more of products and packaging. They need to meet consumer demands, be sustainable, and travel through different channels. Simply put, companies that make things need to respond faster than ever to change. So let's go beyond the shelf to understand how industry leaders in food and beverage, beauty, CPG, industrials, and more are driving innovation in their products and packaging. Hello, and welcome to Beyond the Shelf, the product and packaging podcast, where we interview the people behind the amazing products we use every day. Today, I'm speaking with Pierre Pianar, the president of the World Packaging Organization. Pierre holds a professorship in packaging engineering and has been president of the World Packaging Organization, or WPO as they call it, since January of 2018. Packaging has taken him to the far corners of the world, and we'll talk more about where he is today shortly. He's attended international congresses and conferences where he has delivered and continues to present papers and judge national and international packaging competitions. He received a Master of Science degree in Packaging Engineering and Technology from Brunel University in the United Kingdom, and a Master of Manufacturing and Production degree from the University of Hertfordshire in the United Kingdom as well. He is a registered certified packaging professional in 52 countries. Pierre, welcome to the podcast. It's wonderful to be with you today. Really, really good. And I look forward to uh, sharing uh, all things packaging. I'm so excited to talk to you. Where are you coming from currently? Where are you based right <laughs> well, now? A hotel room in uh, downtown Bangkok in Thailand. Yeah. Wow. I, you, I feel like you're the international man of packaging. You're 52 different countries you're certified in. You've lived all over. You must have seen it all at this point. Uh, well, uh, let, let me say uh, it's, I'm extremely fortunate that I, I, I get to do this and I enjoy doing it. So, you know, uh, last week or, or 10 days ago, I was in Cairo in Egypt and it's such, it's so diverse packaging. You know, what I saw in Egypt and what I'm seeing here in Bangkok is so different. And um, next week, I will be in Sao Paulo in Brazil. And I know it's going to be different there as well. So that's the exciting part about packaging. Well, it's interesting. And, and we'll get into this. I'm sure there's a lot of differences, but there's also probably a lot of similarities as well. There, there is, you know, uh, and that's the, the good thing. Whenever I travel like this, for example, yesterday afternoon, I took a walk downtown into some of the grocery stores just to have a look at the packaging. And I spent you know, a couple of hours just ambling up and down the aisles. Uh, invariably, you buy something. But what I saw was a lot of similarity. So if I'm looking, for example, washing soap, say clothing washing soap. I know exactly what to look for because the colors are always similar. If I'm looking for coffee, it, it, the the shape and the and the color is is pretty well standard across the world, so that's the similarity, and it actually is a good thing because of because of our globalization and a lot of traveling happening. Um, the, the where sometimes I'm challenged is um, uh, in the naming of products. Uh, for example, when you get milk, milk is milk. I understand that you know it all comes from the same same source, but what they do with that milk and they're pulling out, say, the fat content or making it skinny um, or, or, a, or a UHT milk, then it becomes a little bit different in the, in the various countries because there 
in, in, that, in those sectors, it's called something different. Uh, but nevertheless, it is not the white product and, and you'll find milk. I was going to say, am, am I hearing you correctly, that milk, like the thing, the stuff you yeah. would drink? Yeah, from cows. Don't get me started. When I lived in a different country, I've lived in the United States all my life, and I'm used to milk being refrigerated. And I lived in Argentina, and and they're like, yeah, the milk's on the shelf. And I thought, what is going on here? <laughs> and so, like, how – but that's very normal, I think, in other parts of the world to have shelf-stable uh, milk. And that's one of those differences. It's it's one of those – one of my favorite crossovers where it's a packaging yeah. and a product innovation. You know, the reason you're able to put it on a shelf is because of the packaging. But it's it totally changes the perception for the consumer of the product, um, which I find wild. What are some of the uh, differences that you see? see country to country? Um, that's more in the products that are, um, you know, genuine to that country. Uh, you know, I came through Singapore yesterday and I had a stop over there, so I went around and a couple of hours before the connecting flights. And, and they have some particular meat products that I've seen nowhere else in the world. It's processed meat that they sell at the airport in, in abundance. Um, but it seems very popular amongst the uh, amongst the locals. I don't see many foreigners buying it. I was a bit uh, dubious whether or not, but I did ask the attendant, and and she assured me that it's you know uh, it's just one of their traditional type products, um, and, and that you find all over the world. Uh, you know, in Germany, you get particular sausages that you wouldn't find readily, say, in um, in China. So it, it's those type of things that you're going to really look for, uh, particularly even in bread, which you think is a very simple product. Um, it's very varied. Across Asia, uh, the bread availability in terms of uh, variety is not the same as what you find across uh, Western Europe. For example, having spent uh, a bit of time there a few weeks ago in Austria, Germany, and Switzerland, in, in, and then and then moving from there into um, uh, places like um, Philippines and Indonesia, uh, very different. Although Indonesia has been influenced because of colon colonialization some years ago, there's still a lot of European type products in those countries. So that's that's when you can see how. The history of the country has influenced the packaging. That's fascinating. And of course, this proliferation of products has led to a proliferation and complexity for packaging engineers. Uh, you have a, a very interesting background. How did you get your start in packaging? <laughs> oh, man. It's such an interesting... I always find it's an interesting story because I was never destined to be in packaging. And here I am and loving every minute of it. But uh, I started out doing pharmacy and uh, joined a large pharmaceutical manufacturing company in South Africa where I was born. And um, fortunately for me, um, they needed someone in, 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 a pa in the packaging arena and they, hadn't, they never had this department and they needed to create it because there was a lot of money being spent in packaging. And um, uh, I, I was... Um, was the only one who volunteered. The other three guys that were, were, were asked said no. So, and I was ready for change. And uh, I never looked back, not one minute. I don't, I, I mean, pharmacy, you always use, you use the chemistry, you use it in your daily life. And there's a lot of packaging in pharmaceutical products, which is certainly my first, my first joy in packaging is pharmaceutical packaging. But, um, 
I've just I've just looked forward since I I left pharmacy per se and seen how diverse and how dynamic uh, packaging is across the world and and I get to travel you know sitting in Bangkok uh, is uh, is so it's so fantastic because I know when I hit those streets later on today it's going to be a whole different world out there uh, and I don't know what uh, to expect put it that way so that's the exciting point I love that I mean, I find it so exciting too, because it impacts every industry. It impact, you know, it has such a criticality element to it. And of course it's becoming more important to the world. And we'll talk a little bit more uh, about why more people, I would say lay people are learning about packaging. Um, what does the world packaging organization do? Obviously you're, you're the president. What is the scope of that organization and what do you try to accomplish? You know, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask me that question is the massive, and I use that word particularly, the massive network that we've got across probably 19 plus countries. So anything happening, is something happening in, in Los Angeles in packaging right now, I will hear about it within six hours across our network system. Because we've got people in LA, we've got people in Beijing, we've got people in Johannesburg, you know, it, it, you name the city, there's packaging. And, and we, we have uh, folk in all those places. So I'd say the network is the big plus factor, uh, would be the first aspect. But certainly when it comes to innovation, because we need innovation in packaging, uh, we cannot become stagnant. And we have a World Star Awards program, uh, Global, uh, and the only, it is the only one that's global. And it's through innovation in this forum of World Star where we see such development um, and that is extensively encouraged coming through. Uh, and then, of course, through this, we see uh, we see improving in improvements in packaging all the time in terms of the quality. Um, uh, and then, of course, we cannot forget sustainability. Uh, and and this plays a massive part in packaging nowadays. So we really want to focus on that. And the World Packaging Organization last year brought out what we call packaging design guidelines for recycling, which makes life easy for those folk out there that are not involved in the extent that I am, for example, but this book is uh, is free online and, and they can uh, obtain that and they know exactly what to do from from the elementary, from the start, which is, which is really encouraging. And then, of course, um, education and training. So we have extensive training programs across the world, predominantly in developed countries or developing countries because they need it most. Um, and across nearly every continent, we, we're not. The WPO is is on your continent, but we don't do training on your continent because you guys are developed. You 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 know what you do when it comes to packaging. But when uh, when one looks at Africa, for example, they, they they require help in certain in certain countries, and we're there to provide that for them on the ground with training teams, uh, educating them on the latest and the and the new ideas, and of course just the basics as well, because that's lacking in certain parts of the parts of the world. Um, uh, so we indirectly um, contribute to the development of international trade. Um, we are and have probably 15 to 20 um, 
partnerships with other global organizations. When I say that, I mean in the corrugated industry, in the flexible industry, in the sustainable medicines, uh, all those associations we have partnerships with, as well as United Nations through UNIDO, United Nations Industrial Development Organization. And uh, we have a strong bond with them. And as I talk right now, we've got uh, a number of teams out in uh, countries where the UN requires us to be working alongside uh, folk in packaging, helping them in particular areas where they need it most. So we really diversified. Um, but the good thing is, is that our presence is in every country. That's amazing. And just to give, you know, there's one thing you said that resonated with me. You talk about the UN. I, I know the UN has development goals, right, that these countries are trying to achieve around sustainability. And uh, a country like the United States, we have 13 universities that have packaging programs. So each year, about 2,000 students graduate with a professional degree in packaging, of which they know the science aspect and the engineering aspect. And, you know, I don't think about that, that in other countries, they don't have that same talent pool of people who have exposure to that level of training and expertise. And the fact that you can go into these other areas that may not have the educational infrastructure and provide that support and guidance is having a huge impact, you know, even more than than I would have thought initially. For sure. You know, uh, Laura, and I have the privilege of uh uh, guest lecturing in three of those 13 universities in the United States. Uh, in fact, I'll be in Rochester um, at, at, at their university there um, in, uh, in September doing just that. And yes, I'm imparting my knowledge, but at the same time, I'm gathering knowledge from from students out in the United States. And then the next the next week, the next week, I might be, you know, lecturing in um, in Indonesia, for example, and, and I get that same opportunity. Yes, sharing knowledge, but at the same time, I'm gathering a wealth of knowledge from those folk that are in that classroom. So let's talk about, you know, the, the perspective that you've had. What are the common challenges you're seeing in the packaging industry? A lack of understanding. Easy answer. Because um, everyone, and I say everyone, every human being touches packaging every single day some more than others. Uh, and so we become a little bit blasé. We become a little bit, no, we know it all because we touch it. We, we open boxes. We, you know, whatever we do with packaging every day uh, makes us a so-called expert um, in the eyes of, of, of that beholder, you know, in, 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 and when many companies then employ people uh, that are meant to know something about packaging, and they maybe do, you know, they, they might have many, many years of experience in a particular narrow aspect of packaging, but they certainly don't understand the diversity of it and the implications of the, how the one impacts on the other. And then most of all is the lack of the understanding and knowledge of the science of packaging. Engineering as well and technology as well, but really the science of it. When you come down to material constructions, for example, I see errors in my travels across the world all the time. Uh, and it's purely a lack of understanding of uh, how, for example, laminations of flexible material are made up and, and how do you combine them and why do you combine some and not others? And what are you trying to achieve? 
So I always ask the question, if someone doesn't, if someone cannot tell me what fixed law is, that tells me that they, they don't have an understanding of science of packaging, which fixed law is the... What, what is that law? <laughs> it's the theory of permeation. So it's how gas moves through the, the material. It's like a balloon. If you blow up a party balloon, you come back the next day and the balloons are, are half deflated. Where has the air gone? It hasn't gone through the knot that you tied in the balloon. It's gone through that rubber of that balloon, through that material, and that's fixed law in action. And we apply that same theory in, in food packaging, in pharmaceutical packaging, um, and that's how we get shelf life. That's amazing. You know, one of the things that I've really observed, and I would I would love your thoughts on this. I've I've never worked in packaging. I work with a lot of packaging leaders and product leaders, and so I I hear their stories and talk to many on this podcast, and I see a general lack of appreciation for packaging as a discipline in an organization, um, not just a lack of understanding, but what I've noticed is a lot of them aren't at the table to make decisions. They're often the, the receivers of information, right? And so a procurement team wants to save money. The first place they look is packaging when it's such a critical part of the efficacy yeah. of a product. How can packaging leaders get more of a voice and more of a seat at the table, if you will? Well, I made this prediction probably 10 years ago that if we don't train and educate more people, we're going to have a void in five years' time. Well, we're in that area at the moment, and we have that void. Now, we, you know, people will challenge me on this, and I'm open for the challenge. I enjoy that challenge. But I can see, because I'm, I'm, I'm crisscrossing the world all the time, and, and I'm interfacing with packaging people, and that's where I see this void already there uh, and that we have to do something about it and WPO is doing something about it and certain countries are doing something about it. Your, your country in the United States certainly is doing lots about it. They, they have an institute of packaging professionals and doing an enormous, enormous amount of work, really good stuff. Uh, we need more of those across the world, in more in the developing countries um, so that we have folk making the right decision for packaging, for the betterment of, of people out there. Because, you know, we need to empower and inspire people that are in the packaging industry so that we have best practices and best technologies, you know, and we find global solutions uh, to support what I earlier mentioned, uh, support innovation. Absolutely. And shout out to IOPP. Uh, we're a partner with them and appreciate all the work they do. Um, we've also done a lot of education with them on helping packaging leaders not only speak the language of engineering, but the language of business so that they can help their peers drive to that outcome, but in a way that doesn't sacrifice you know, the packaging. Uh, I think that's so important. We can't talk about packaging without talking about sustainability. You alluded to this. How have you seen this discussion unfold over the years? And, and you know, what are the variances by country as well yeah yeah um i'm, I'm smiling because uh as recent as last week i spoke to a school in australia grade 11 and 12s uh, and this is part of their technology class and they uh, wanted me to come and talk about sustainability in packaging and uh and i welcome such things I welcome grade 1s to grade 12s. Any opportunity that I can get to spend time with them, I will always make available. And uh, I, I asked the question, tell me what sustainability is. I didn't say, 
explain to me what sustainability in packaging is. I just, I, you know, made it really in general uh, open question. Um, and I had no, I had no answers. I had no one answer, answer the question. Uh, maybe they were shy. That is possible, sure. And they may be embarrassed that they might have given the, rank, the wrong answer. But I used that example because I said, if I went out into the street right now, into one of the cities, any city in, in Australia or any city in the world, and I, and I stopped 100 people and I asked them, out of the blue, tell me what your understanding is of sustainability. I guess I'd have about less than 5% that would be able to tell me what, what it was. Just the, the normal man or woman in the street, um, uh, they don't know what sustainability is. They've heard the word. They know they should use it because it's the buzzword, but they don't actually understand what it means. And it's, a quite, it's quite simple. I mean, it's not a difficult thing, but someone needs to teach them what it is. And, and it's just getting that balance uh, in, a, in, in our lives in terms of um, the, the, the use of our natural resources, that balance so that we don't create this huge problem that we're facing at the moment. You know, we are, we are on, a, on, a, on a mad trajectory in terms of use of, of, of our natural resources. At the moment, we're running uh, just short of two planet Earths. And if we continue that same trajectory, it, by 2050, we're going to require nearly three planet Earths. Well, we know there's only one. But the good news, and that's the great thing, and this is the part that I enjoy going around the world, teaching and telling and, and um, uh, indoctrinating, if, it, if I can use that word as well, that we can make the difference in our own environments to start with. What are, we, what are we doing with the packaging once we remove the contents? Is it going in the receptacle to be recycled? Which brings me to the next point, and that is those folk that are in packaging companies or making packaging or designing packaging, we've got to design with the end in mind. We've got to design the packaging that is able to be recycled. That's paramount. And we can do it. We can do it. We, we right now in packaging of say uh, certainly food and pharmaceutical, um, nearly nearly seventy percent. It's probably about 68 percent of all product right now. We can move to mono materials because of the huge development and innovation that's been taking place in recent years on this on the sustainability stage. So we can, as soon as we move to mono materials, we can then recycle it. You know, and, and, and that's where we need to go. We need to phase out the laminations as much as we can and focus on mono materials and achieve sustainability. Yeah, I love that. And and that's a similar definition of sustainability that I had. I was going to ask you your definition. And when you shared it, this idea of balancing the natural resources so that you're you're not taking more than than the earth is giving you. It's really is that simple. But the implications are huge in having the infrastructure to recycle, I'm sure, is different country by country. I think the work you're doing around standards for recyclability is really important. And I think the seat that you have being able to work across countries is going to be so so important because it does seem like international cooperation is needed to solve a challenge of this magnitude. Would would you agree with that? 
I do agree with that. And, um, you know, every opportunity that I get in these countries when I when I go around uh, here in Bangkok, I'm here for Propac Asia, which is uh, the, the largest uh, packaging expo in this region. And uh, and invariably, they they get the Minister of Trade and Industry to open their, their ex exhibitions. So I get to meet them. Um, and, and so I use the platform that I have as president of WPO to meet these folk that are influential in these countries. Um, and uh, it's amazing when one has a one-on-one -on -one discussion with the folk that can make the difference in government, uh, that things can happen. Uh, and when you tell them what has been achieved in other countries, other developing countries, for example, in this region, um, then they understand they don't want to fall behind. Uh, and, and follow suit and become more more sustainable. Um, but also, and, and this brings me to a point on, on food packaging, for example, it, it interfaces with every one of us. We need to make sure that on the one hand, we, we find sufficient packaging to protect the food and give the shelf life, but at the same time, we mustn't over-package and create this extra packaging that's not required where it creates the imbalance that I was talking to you about a moment ago. So it's finding that balance, even in, in, in food packaging, over-packaging or under-packaging. So there's a sweet spot there, uh, and we need to always strive for that optimum uh, point when we are looking and designing a packaging. And I reflect this when I meet these various um, industry ministers uh, and explain something that hits home at them that they can understand quite easily in their own home environment. Then the penny drops and hopefully they, they make a change um, in, their, in, their, in their space that they can or, and, and able to do. Yeah, I think that's great. And I, I believe as consumers, we all have to accept changes in packaging. You know, I talked to some who are using PCR, some brands using PCR really well. It's a different looking bottle and that's okay. You know, this idea of, I think marketers especially have to reevaluate how they think about brand and brand standards in the context of materials and recyclability and packaging. We really shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't prioritize your brand over the environment. And I think a lot of consumers are now pushing brands to, to move in that. But Laura, Laura, on you, also point, do, you made yeah. a very valid point then. I like the point you've made in that um, we, we've got to strive in, in, uh, in a whole thinking that uh, we can make that difference. Um, and when we, when we make the difference and we show others that we are doing our own thing in our own space, uh, you know, each of us knows people that are that surround us, our family, our friends, our, you know, relations, and uh, we, we all have an influence on them. And we can influence them, but we've got to make the change, each and every one of us, to change that status quo for 2050. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, can you talk a little bit about, about 2050 for those who don't know? Because that is an important milestone. Well, you know, the um, United Nations came out with this, uh, with this uh, uh, study that, that, that in terms of uh, having a target that we really need to, to ensure that we've changed the world in terms of um, packaging. Um, and, and so they looked at the amount of, of natural resources that is currently being used and, and, they, and they saw the trajectory that we were on 
uh, which is not, a, as I said a moment ago, is not a, not a good one at all, and that we're running on two planet Earths as we talk. Um, but then by putting in these sustainability um, uh, my, milestones and putting a whole sustainable program together that uh, all countries that belong to the UN uh, strive to achieve, and by doing that, we will re then reach the target by 2050 of, of having one planet Earth is sufficient for us. But, wow. But I it mean, does involve each person. Yeah. It's not just you and me, Laura. No, that's I mean, the, that's the main thing. You must get that, that idea. Absolutely. You know, I talk to a lot of students and I, you know, I'm still on the younger, younger side of life and, you know, I hope to still be here in 2050. And so we have to, this isn't us doing it for future generations anymore. It's doing it for ourselves. I, I don't think that message has really permeated to most people at this point. I think the idea is always you're doing it for your, you know, children's children. No, like we're, we're doing it for the people here and now that are still going to be here. I mean, the, the impact is so much sooner and closer than we think. What gives you confidence that we're going to achieve this? I, we, I need a little bit of optimism after that. Yeah, right? for sure. I mean, we've got to have optimism. Yeah. And there is, there is, you know, uh, um, I was in a, in a developing country and I'm not going to mention a name to be unfair to, for me to do that. And I was giving a lecture on sustainability in packaging and this young fella, who were doing his master's in sustainability at the local university, uh, came to me and said to me, the penny has just dropped. He just, he's now got it. He's now got it. He was 25. He's in, he was in his final, final years of his uh, master's degree in sustainability. And he realized, he said to me, sustainability or the lack of it is a cultural problem. And that, and that resonated with me. I said, what do you mean by that? He said to me, have you seen our countryside? I didn't want to embarrass him. He said, yeah, you, you, I'm sure you would have noticed there's stuff lying all over, just rubbish lying all over. I said, yeah, I did see some of it. I mean, no, I mean it was really bad. And uh, he said, we have a cultural problem here. We just toss things out the car when we finish uh, eating the contents. He said, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I'm going to change, I want to change my friend's thinking. We can't, we can't do that anymore. Hmm. And this is where I believe education is important, and that's why even grade ones I'm, I'm happy to talk to because I know from, from the, in my local area back in Australia, I, I teach the grade one, twos, and threes about packaging. And they like sponges. They just absorb all this information. And it is so heartwarming. I've got to tell you that, Laura. It is, such, it is so beautiful. I go back twice a year. First semester and second semester. And I'm amazed at these little ones in grade ones and twos. They remind me of what I said six months prior. And they tell me what they're doing in their household. And when I'm on the on the school playing fields, for example, I get other parents coming up to me to say, am I the guy that tells us where to put our rubbish at home? I said, you found the guy. That's exactly right. They said, well, our, our son or our, or our little daughter told us this is how we do it. And when we put stuff in the wrong receptacle, they tell us, Dad, that's not right. But it goes one better. They say to Granddad and Grandma, we don't put it in that bin. We put it in this bin. It has to be recycled. We've got to recycle everything that we, we can in packaging. That is music to my ears. And I'm hearing more and more of that in the, amongst the younger generation in schools. 
Well, that's adorable. And it's not just the first and second graders telling people anymore. Governments are really stepping in and coming out with regulations. Europe has really been pioneering extended producer responsibility. It's come to the United States. California passed um, the most, I think, rigorous one. It hasn't taken effect yet. Uh, but these regulations are coming. Do you think packaging teams are prepared? Yes. Simple answer, yes. And, it, um, you know, we've seen it work in the EU if we go back 25 years, nearly 30 years in um, Austria, Germany, and the Netherlands, they've had EPR, Extended Producer Responsibility, for, for all that time. We know it works. And we know that in the early stages, we need the policemen on the streets making sure it happens. In those countries that have had it for 25 years and, and, and more, it's self-policing now. Because if you don't, put, if you don't do the right thing, Laura, your neighbour phones the authorities to tell them that my neighbor's putting stuff in the wrong bin, in the wrong receptacle. It's not being recycled. So they don't have to police it anymore. It's policing itself. And that's where we, we need to go. You know, more recently, um, Indonesia, uh, with the help of WPO, introduced a form of EPR, which is really encouraging. Last year, uh, South Africa uh, introduced EPR, um, in the early stages, you know, obviously every year on year they'll increase those um, recycle percentages, but we've all got to start somewhere. Uh, I'm glad to hear that California has, has taken that big step to do similar in the United States. Uh, and, and I look forward to many of the other states following suit uh, there. Because a lot of other countries look to the United States, and if, if U.S. is doing it, they then follow, you know, and, and that's good. I don't mind who they follow as long as they follow and do it. Well, we're going to keep pushing people here. Uh, another topic that I've never talked about on the show um, is packaging in the legal space. And I understand that you do a little bit of work here. What companies, what do companies typically uh, deal with when it comes to liability in packaging? It's varied. Simply because uh, something has gone wrong that, well, in, 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 a, in many cases, something has gone wrong with the packaging or they believe something has gone wrong with the packaging they can't establish what the problem is um and, and that's where i uh, come involved in, in in a number of cases and when one does the analysis of it in the majority of the cases that i have been involved in it's been due to a lack of knowledge and understanding of packaging technology and science had they if they didn't have someone uh, in their own company and uh, telling them what to do then maybe they should have uh, hired or consulted with someone that could help them it would have saved them enormous amount of money because all these cases run into the hundreds of thousands of dollars every time some of them a few million um so they could have saved themselves a lot of heartache if they had just um, uh, spoken to someone that knew. And I have to also add to this that in a, in, in a case that I'm working on as we talk, this one involves a lack of specifications. And uh, when in the case that I've been involved in, the first thing that I ask for is, can I have copies of all your specifications that pertain to this case? Um, and I'm staggered whenever I see it. It's in the absolute minority. When I say absolute minority, probably 10% of the 
of those that I've dealt with that have comprehensive packaging component specifications. So there's 90% there that are not doing the right thing. They just don't have the information, and that's what re- what led them to run into the problems they've had, um, which could have been avoided. Yeah. I, I mean, we at Specrate, we agree. It, it is still mind-boggling to me that more companies are not taking a pro companies don't realize the data treasure trove they have on packaging specifications. And when we talk about sustainability, how do you know, how do you say you're sustainable if you don't know at the component level, what your packaging's made out of? Right. So, you know, I really think there's going to be the shift of, you know, packaging. We talked about the materials and the science, but the data, relating back to how we make decisions will will have more and more an impact and, and and also help elevate the packaging profession, I believe, to that seat at the table where they can talk about, you know, business and use ROI and numbers and metrics and things that a lot of executives would care about. You know, hey, we've we've purchased X amount of tons of packaging and spent X amount of dollars. If we moved to this material, we could save this amount of material and this amount of money. And being able to have those conversations or, hey, we're going to consolidate these SKUs because they're similar enough and go to a standard. All of those things I mentioned seems so easy in theory, yet are so hard to execute in reality because companies don't have this data managed properly. Um, but I think that's changing. You know, I see it every day, big brands adopting this, and that, and that gives me hope. Um, and, and the reason for that, just listening to you talking about it, you, you don't know what you don't know. So they don't realize that they don't have the information and that information would make their life easier. That may be upfront, you know, there may be some dollars spent. Understood. Understood. But it just it just prevents them spending a lot more dollars later. Um, now some of them may get away with it for uh, many years, but somewhere it, it's likely to to come back and bite them. And I understand that many companies don't have the, the expertise in this particular area of, pack, of packaging. But the good thing is there are companies like Spetrite that have the software that they can use that makes it easy. It tells them what information they must collect. And once they're further, if they still don't understand, then they can call the likes of people that, that are in that type of role, like in a consulting role in packaging like I am, that where we are there to help folk like that. And every country has has people like us, like you, like your company and me, that can help and are willing to help. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we think about the digitization of this industry, because it is an industry that's, I would say, is late to the technology revolution. There's been a lot of work, don't get me wrong, in graphics and design and on the equipment side, certainly for packaging, but not really in this space. Um, We're going to see tremendous innovation out of this. I always liken it to imagine using a a a flip phone. And when you got an iPhone, they were both phones, right? A lot of people are using Excel to manage their specs, kind of like the old Razor flip phone. Then when you get the iPhone, isn't it just such a game changer? It's a computer in your pocket. You're doing things totally differently than you would do. And, And what I love about my job is I get to hand people iPhones all day and see it light up where they say, oh my gosh, I can run an LCA and by clicking a button. I can build a new palette design and tops by pushing it. I mean, it is a paradigm shift. Um, and it's fun to be able to be part of that, you know, that journey with And people. that paradigm shift is happening as we talk. If I, if I look at where we were 
six years ago and where we are now, when I say we, I'm talking about the World Banking Organization and the interface with industry. It was we, we the industry interface, right? And it's come leaps and bounds. So we're on the right, we're on the right path. There's no doubt. We just need, you know, more people out there telling more people about about the the correct the correctness of packaging, so that we make it uh, recyclable and sustainable for everyone, so that our grandchildren don't say, "What was Laura and Pierre doing when they were around?" I, I've got a little granddaughter now, and she's three years old, and she just absorbs everything I tell her, and. I don't want her to, when she's 15 or whatever, that sort of age, say, you know, I had a grandfather who was involved in packaging on an on a, on a international scale and he didn't do anything and he could have. I don't want to hear that. And that's why I'm on a mission. The more people that I can tell and influence on doing the right thing so that, my, that I can be proud when my grandchild says, one day I had a grandfather that made the difference, you know, well, that's, uh, we're proud of you. And I appreciate all the work you're doing and, and all the traveling you're doing to get the message out there. Uh, I want to be mindful of your time. I have to let you get back to, to your presidential duties at WPO. So we're going to close out with my favorite segment called Rapid Fire. Pierre, what is your favorite product right now? The flip top. That flip top closure, you know, it's so simple and so effective. And when they first invented it in the late 70s, it's never really changed. It's brilliant. Imagine not having a flip top. You can't miss. Oh, I love flip tops. You're talking about like the water bottle flip tops? Yeah, it will. Water bottles right across yeah, the grocery cupboard. You'll see flip tops and in your cleaning agents. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are game changers. Um, what packaging trend are you most excited about right now? I think it's in the, in the cold supply chain area. You know, that's an area that I believe we've not followed and not concentrated on, and we're having too many losses, and it really came out during COVID-19 in terms of the COVID vaccine, how much product was wasted because of not controls, but also the right packaging in that space. And we, we spend more time in that area, and at the moment, that's where my focus is. That's a really good one because it's very expensive as well. When you think about using like dry ice, cold chain is all about keeping the packaging yeah. at a certain temperature, right? For the product efficacy and it can get quite costly and not be super sustainable. So I agree with you looking for a lot of innovation in that space. Um, last but not least, I'm going to give you uh, we're going to do kill, keep change. Given a list of three random products, what would you kill or discontinue? What would you keep and what would you change? So the three items you have, Pierre, uh, one is a water bottle. One is a string cheese. Are you familiar with string cheese? String tea, yeah, yeah. Yeah, ready to drink tea, yeah. String, okay. I didn't know, I don't know if they have, like maybe they don't have it in Australia. And then the third is a soccer goal. So think that the soccer net, the soccer goal. So kill, keep, change. What do you kill? What do you keep? What do you change? Water bottle, soccer goal, string cheese. Well, uh, I'm amazed at the, the, the drink tea or, or ready to drink tea, how it's increased uh, in, across Asia. You know, they always used to make tea that was fresh. Now, now you can have ready to drink tea. And um, it's just changed the whole scope across uh, uh, Asia and especially China. The increase in the amount of packaging in that whole space is enormous. You can imagine with, with, that, with that amount of people now moving towards it in the younger age. So certainly, uh, you know, I will keep that. The, the water bottle, there's such a variation there. I'd like to see that 
kept but standardized. So we have the the suitable bottles in terms of um, sustainable bottles, closures as well, and labeling as well. And then using the bottle, um, because I know there are lots of water bottles that they were not designed with the end in mind. They were not designed with a container in mind. In other words, they don't fit properly in a container and there's wasted space every time you're shipping water bottles across the world. And they do. Believe me, you think you're only using water in, a, in, in, in the United States that comes from the United States? You're not. And likewise with many other countries. So let's standardize the water bottle. So yes, we should keep that. Um, and when you come to the, the soccer goal, explain what you meant by that or what you want me to answer on that. Oh, it's just a product. You can you kill one, keep one, change one. So you can keep the soccer goal as is if you think it's great, or you could kill it and think it's you know it's outdated and the goal needs to be made you know smaller, yeah. bigger. It's yeah. just a fun. So thing. certainly, um, both those products that you mentioned, I would keep them, but with some with some more focus in the one, well, more focus in both of them to ensure a a good long term outcome. Absolutely. Well, Pierre, thank you so much for being on Beyond the Shelf. How can people follow you and stay tuned on what you're doing? Um, the best place is on LinkedIn because there I have a strong following and um, I'm always commenting on different packaging on LinkedIn. So um, uh, under, my, under my name, Pierre Pinar in, in LinkedIn, um, that probably be the best way of following and I also then make direct contact and, and pass on my email addresses and so on. <clears throat> Excellent. Well, thank you, Pierre. And thank you for all the passion and advocacy you're doing across the world to impact us all. Hopefully by 2050, we're going to do it. I'm sure. That, 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 when you say that and you end of this show with that uh, phrase, then that, that warms my heart because then I know I've made, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something that's making a difference. So thank you. Beyond the Shelf is presented by Specrite, the first cloud-based platform for specification management. Say goodbye to spreadsheets, share drives, and legacy systems, and digitize your specs in a secure single source of truth. With Specrite, you can easily share and collaborate on specs with other departments and across your entire supply chain network. Taking a spec-first approach enables you to accelerate product and packaging development, go to bid faster, report on sustainability, and ultimately spend less time chasing data and more time making amazing things. To learn more, visit specright.com. That's S-P-E-C-R-I-G-H-T.com.